It's college basketball. Basketball? Basketball! Did I do basketball? No, um, play basketball, snowboarding, more basketball. We did win the basketball game. We are live in the newsroom. I'm Charlie Goldsmith with Andrew Golden, Peter Warren. This is apparently the Daily Bounce, a podcast we named five seconds ago. It's true. We're going to be here every week. We got a 10-week quarter. We got a 10-week season. Not off to a strong start, but Andrew, what did you think? What were your takeaways from the game last night? Wait a second. Let's recap. I think... Northwestern proved they have a lot of potential and they can really compete in the Big Ten. I think they proved that all season. I just think the problem is closing out games. There's always something that seems to go wrong late in the game, whether it's foul trouble um, or we just don't make the we just don't make enough shots. Um, yesterday we kind of struggled with foul trouble late in the second half. You know the rest were making some you know questionable calls. They got Vic Law and Derek Part in the foul trouble, but over, overall I think we're a pretty good team. I just think we need to finish stronger at the end. But Peter, like you look at like the other Big Ten game that happened last night. Rutgers, one of the worst teams in the conference, beats Ohio State. Like Collins himself and said he's not a close guy, a close win guy. Has anything the team has done so far this season proven that they are a good team? I mean, they've played a lot of really good teams close. Michigan, uh, Oklahoma, Indiana, these are all ranked teams. You know, the Michigan State game, you know, playing, going out there, it was a tough one, they lost. I think playing those teams close and having a chance to win, you know, at the buzzer, I think that's indicative, indicative of a team that is good. But the thing is, as Andrew mentioned, they haven't been able to sort of hit that shot in the big game. You know, A.J. Turner had a great shot against Illinois, but, you know, Illinois is right now the worst team in the conference. You know, you have to, you have to win those games. You have to make those shots. It's a different matter when you're going against some of these great teams, and that's how they can take the next step. I think it means something to to play these close games if they're against good teams. If they get into the... Like if they get to playing middle tier Big Ten teams and they're playing close games against them, I feel like that's not indicative of them being a good team. That's just them not being able to finish games. But them playing against higher ranked teams that are expected to do well is important because it shows that they should be able to beat the middle tier teams. Peter, not that Chris Collins is trying to give excuses, but what did you think were the reasons he thought the team lost last night? I mean, yesterday was just sort of a weird game being there. It was sort of, it wasn't a, a split crowd, but it was a significant Iowa faction. So that sort of played a little bit of a role. There's always an Iowa faction. I was at a Northwestern women's basketball game last qu- last year. 75% Iowa fans, <laughs> including, like, this bus of the family, like the Jackie Doyle family, who's, like, the most Iowan person ever. But Jordan Bohannon probably had his squad there as well. Uh, Chicago got Isaiah product Chicago product Isaiah Moss had the game of his life as a Joey Wieskamp. How come so many supplementary players were able to have so much success? Like, what was, what was going on? Uh, one of the things that Iowa did differently was, you know, without, you know, Tyler Cook, their leading scorer, they had a much different offense than they're usually used to. And uh, Coach McCaffrey talked about this after the game, you know, sort of a little bit more uh, free-flowing. You know, there wasn't as, that sort of that focal point. And so you saw guys like, you know, Garza, like you said, Bohannon, didn't have as big as a game. It's more of a facilitator, not as much a scorer. Uh, and it was just a different look for them. And, you know, he said he knew... He expected Cook to play the night before. He said shoot-around came, and Tyler said he wasn't able to go. And I assume Northwestern didn't know he was going to go until the end. And while Colin said, you know, it didn't play in effect, I assume if you're prepping for one guy the whole time and he's not playing, that is going to sort of throw you off. And that might be why I started off in a 2-3. I also think Northwestern, North, but Northwestern 
They got the foul trouble because um, Iowa is a very good attacking team. Garza, like you said, he didn't play. He's been injured on and off throughout the season, but when he plays, he has he's shown a lot of potential. I think in the second half, Iowa really attacked the rim. I know Northwestern started the game on a two three zone, and Collins said that was to avoid getting into foul trouble. But in the second half, when they attacked the zone, they got they got into foul trouble really easily. And maybe they should have played the two three zone a little bit more. Um, they hadn't really played it all season. I think people were really shocked when they came out of it initially. And I like Chris Collins' idea. I think he should have stuck with it for a little bit longer, especially because a team like Iowa likes to attack. Peter, Iowa was basically his best player. Vic Law himself didn't take advantage, had another off game. It's the second consecutive game where he's been inefficient from the field. How do his struggles change what NU is, what Northwestern is doing? Well, Vic Law is the best player on the team. I think we can all agree with that. He's had an amazing season so far, even when he's two off games. I mean, he was... Through Michigan State, he was looking like a guy who's all Big Ten first team potentially, and up there with guys like you know Romeo Langford, guys you know, uh, just a whole bunch of really good guys in the Big Ten. He was up there with them. I think when you don't have Vic playing well, it forces Taylor and Turner have to step up because you can always get the ball to Pardon, but you need somebody you know out on the wing to sort of create, especially with how the offense is running a lot more free flowing, a lot less pick and rolls, and so you don't have Vic, who's been their best creator best runner of the point and best sort of all-around option, it forces those guys to step up and do things that might not be as comfortable. Andrew, can you try to explain to me what Pete Nance was trying to do last night? I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I think, I think the problem is when you don't see, when you don't play as much, you try and get back into a rhythm and when, you, when you're not playing consistently, trying to get in that rhythm can be difficult, especially at game speed against a Big Ten team. He had open shots. He's, you know, he was just missing them. I think if he gets more more touches and uh, more playing time, I think he'll slowly start to make some some more of those shots. I mean, he, the shot that he the three pointer that he made, he was contested. He took the most shots. It was a big shot, though. It was a big shot that kept Northwestern in the game, and it was. I think he led the team in shots in the first half, and the other three shots were more open. And he missed them. I just think it, it's a matter of him kind of getting his confidence back by getting more touches. What I've been getting at with the past couple of questions, Joe, is I'll ask this to Peter. Is NU a team that can withstand the struggles from Derek Pardon and Vic Law in the same game? Can both of them have off nights, and can NU still win those games? I mean, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult in those situations. You're talking about not just your two you know, leading scorers, your two best players, your two senior leaders, the guys who have been through it all, you know, been to the tournament two years ago, were on team last year, and probably two of the most efficient players on team last year. Having them, you know, not only off the court at the same time, which I think yesterday for those few minutes when they both had four fouls, that was first time, you know, in meaningful minutes in forever, I can remember both of them not being in the game. And yeah. when you don't have that senior leadership and you're playing with, you know, Taylor's a, a grad, you know, a grad, a graduate student, but he's first year on the team. You know, Turner's a transfer playing his first first minutes in, you know, two years. Gaines is a sophomore. You know, Benson's a junior. Though, you know, they got some experience there, but you're talking about two experienced guys who've played all four years, major minutes. Having them not in the game, it's not, you know, you can, if Taylor goes off, you can win. If Turner goes off, you can win, you know. It's going to be more the leadership side, you know, keeping everybody calm. It's, you know, it's tougher when you're on the bench than, you know, when you're in that huddle after, say, a foul or, you know, a turnover. It's promising how good... Ryan Taylor has looked recently. I mean, he's made 13 threes in the last four games. That's the player that they expected him to be when he came in. But I don't think I don't think they can sustain and really 
win the games of the Big Ten that they expect to win if Vic Law and Derek Parton are having a big role. I think Derek Parton's probably have a bigger role in the offense as it is, but I don't think if the two of them aren't being effective or on the bench. I mean, they Iowa went on their run when Vic Law and Derek Parton got into foul trouble, so I don't think that they can they can really sustain it without the two of them being on the floor. I remember being shook after the Oklahoma game. I did a little research, found out that Ryan Taylor was on pace to be the worst shooter in the history of the Big Ten. Uh, just edging out Michael Finley, who's like this great NBA player, but was a high-volume score shooter at Wisconsin. Uh, Taylor wasn't even putting up points at the time. That's why it's been so great to see him. Is the new pieces being integrated into the offense, specifically Taylor and Turner, Peter, is that still a reason that is any still dealing with those consequences or have they overcome that and they're dealing with different issues? I think it's not just that, you know, talking about the new pieces. I mean, you, talk, you also mentioned the freshmen, you know, Greer, Nance, Cop, they're, they still had, everybody had to learn the offense, even, you know, law and pardon. And I think part of that, of not having a traditional point guard other than Ryan Greer, part of that is sort of you're forcing guys into roles they're not used to, you know. Turner has never at the college level, you know, been the primary ball handler on a team. And so he not only had to learn this offense that he didn't learn at all last year because they had, the, you know, the VMAC offense where a lot of pick and roll. Lots of VMAC. But so you meant, so like with that, you know, he's got to learn that. Vic Law's got to learn some of that, you know. Preseason, I, you know, I talked to, I asked Ryan, you know, do you expect to play some one? He said, no, expect to be a two. I was a little surprised about that. But I guess having another guy not used to it, sort of bringing up the ball, I guess would add some more issues. You mentioned Gaines, you know. Gaines had a little bit of time, you know, you know, bring, initiating the offense last year. But, I mean, he's also been thrown into a much bigger role. It's just sort of, I think it's not as much as the, the pieces themselves. It's the roles these pieces are in. Because it's not just a new offense. It's not just a lot of new players. It's also new roles for these guys. And it's, you know, Vic has Vic has shown to, I think, not just, you know, college scouts, but also NBA guys. You know, he's handled it very well. He's been efficient. He's had, a, like I mentioned, a really great year. You know, t- uh, Turner and Taylor, I think, are really starting to pick it up, get into the role. Same with... Everybody is really sort of picking it up, except, you know, the last, you know, the Iowa game was sort of just a weird blip where a lot of things just sort of seemed to go wrong and just there was no rhythm to be found on the court. When things go wrong, like, what does Chris Collins do in those kind of moments, Andrew? What have you seen so far, his initial responses are to adversity? Uh, I, th- I think I think his, his decision to, re- to rely on his veteran leadership is stick to what he knows. You know, I think that's been Vic Law. I think that's, you know, late in games, I think Vic Law has kind of become the main guy. I think defenses know that. They try to key on him late in games when, you know, when, when, when it's crunch time. I know yesterday there, I think Northwestern was down by six, and Vic Law kind of took his three-pointer. Chris Coll- I, th- I think that was the first time I saw Chris Collins say, like, why are you taking that shot? Like, we have people open, you know, around Chris Collins has court. never said that. Yeah, right, right. Chris, Chris Collins is very adamant. You know, he always talks about how he wants his players to shoot the ball. That's one of the first times where I see him really upset about the fact that he that they didn't move the ball around trying to find somebody else. But I think the first option, his first instinct is to always go to Vic Law to get a bucket. And he's been reliable for most of the season. I just think, you know, the couple, past couple of games, he's had yeah, a couple off nights. It's funny you say that because you're right, like thinking late game, Vic Law like, is that kind of crutch. But it seems like early in the game, in multiple games where NU's offense has been struggling, he's put in Ryan Greer right off the bat. Have you, do, Peter, do you think he's gotten better in the past couple games? Yes, I do. I, I like the idea of you know, bringing Ryan Greer in, in those situations because. He is a very, even as a freshman, I find him very confident with the ball in his hands, very confident in his dribble and his crossover and his handles. He's a guy who you can bring him in and you can be like, all right, 
let's take a breather. We're not going to run up the court, you know, run and gun. We're going to take our time, get into a set or two, and just sort of work through the offense. And I think that's sort of something where you don't have traditional point guard most of the time, where it's sort of an emphasis sort of, you know, creates something on the fly. He sort of gives a, a rigidity to the offense that you don't really see. What you're talking about, a uh, name source told me uh, he gives this person a quote One Tree Hill vibe. And now back to One Tree I Hill. Think that's, I think it's decent. I mean, that's kind of. Um, but seriously, um, do you think if Chris Collins were to change the starting lineup, what change would it be? Would it be Gaines or would it be Greer? What would it be? I, I actually like both of them coming off the bench. I think they kind of they, they they kind of give give Northwestern a different look, and I, I don't know with. Either them in the lineup, where they would. I mean, I, I mean, I guess Ryan Griff is a point guard, but I don't think you should take anybody out of the lineup. I think I like the size that the starting lineup brings to start off the game. I think Anthony Gaines is a really good six six man to come off the bench and kind of re- re-energize them and give them some, a defensive presence. Um, but I, I I think the line should stay 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 as it is. I think he's completely correct. I mean, you mentioned Greer. I mean, you put Greer in that you know that makes the lineup smaller, and it's already a big lineup. But we have you know. Partling at six eight center, and then you have a few six seven guys. Sort of makes it a little tougher to be, able to be as switchable on defense. And like I said, I like Gaines coming off the bench as a six man. I think the guy you take out of the starting line would have to be Miller Cop. Yeah, it has to be Cop. Yeah. And who's really struggled from the field of late. Mm-hmm, and Collins I, has been going to Nance and Greer, like bringing them back into the game for second and third times without Cop. He haven't even gotten back into the game for a second time. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. But I think you know we mentioned you know he's sort of you know they haven't really defined you know which copper net law is really to three or four. So I think if you bring somebody else in, sort of you're forcing Vic into that four that four role and against bigger teams, that's going to sort of be a trouble, uh, be some trouble. We saw him yesterday, you know. Second half yesterday, seven minutes, he picked up four fouls the second half. I mean, I think that's it's very – obviously, I don't think it will happen again. But, I mean, if you're putting him up against a lot of bigger guys, it's going to be more likely to happen, especially when you're having such a big load on offense. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with a look ahead to a massive game against the undefeated number two team in the country. Nope. Go to commercial. Go to commercial. Cut the commercial. Cut the commercial. What about commercial? We're at commercial. Commercials. Commercial. You like that commercial? I love those commercials. We are back, and Peter Warren has some Tex Winter-level meticulous notes on how NU and Michigan have faced off over the years. It's been a surprisingly competitive matchup. Peter, what you got? Yeah, it actually has. And, you know, last two years, you know, this past December, of course, close game, you know, one shot at the end is all that, you know, was close to a Northwestern victory. A few years ago, the Trey Demps, you know, shot was big. And, of course, everybody knows the most famous shot in Northwestern history, Derek Pardon, you know, from Nathan Taphorn, 2017, to secure a tournament victory. Taphorn's got the ball, 1.7 seconds left in a tie ball game. Baseball pass all the way to the other end. Pardon catches, he has a chance, left-handed hook. Got it! Pardon off the heave, and Northwestern wins it! The most wins in program history in a single season comes in dramatic fashion at Evanston. It's interesting because this will be the 10th matchup between a Northwestern team and a Michigan team ranked in the top five. Of the nine previous games, only one has been a win. That was in 1977, January 29th, a Saturday. It was at 
the old Welsh Ryan Arena. Of course it was. And <laughs> the interesting thing about this is, a f- much like this year's team, a few weeks before they played Michigan, who, like the Michigan team this team played, was ranked number five in the country. Score was a little different. Michigan won by 37 points, 102 to 65. But when they faced off at Welsh Ryan that day, Michigan had jumped like they have now to number two in the country. And Northwestern won by not a significant margin, 99 to 87. You know, you mentioned Tex Winter. Winter was the coach. Billy McKinney, you know, leading the squad that day. Big game from Billy. It was a very big game for Billy. It had a really great game all around. Uh, we know. We were there, actually, <laughs> back in the day. It was a great day. But, I mean, other than that, you look through to some of these games, they have not really been close at all. None other game other than the victory. has. It's been one Northwestern victory, and all Michigan wins by, you know, double digits. I mean, the most recent one before this past Tuesday, which was the only single-digit uh, loss, was back when Trey Burke was on the squad 2013. Michigan won by 22 when they were ranked number one in the country. So the uh, history is not in Northwestern's favor. That, by the way, was somehow the second Trey Burke reference we've had in the newsroom tonight. Andrew, when you talked to, uh, or when you heard from Coach John Beeline after the first Michigan-Northwestern game, do you think like he like actually respects Northwestern in a different way from most Big Ten coaches? Because I kind of got that feeling. Absolutely. He, he, he mentioned, first of all, he, he based off the way that the game, when he said based off the way the game had gone, that shot at the end should have gone in. They, they should have lost based off the way that um, the game had been played two years ago. But he definitely had a lot of respect for the way the arena, how far the arena had come and, um, you know, how close the game was played and had a lot of respect for Chris Collins and the program. So I think there's a lot of mutual respect between both sides. And it's been like Pierce has been a little bit lopsided, but I think there's a lot of respect between the two programs. Peter, how has Beeline optimized a Michigan squad that lost so many key pieces from last year and went to the championship? How is he, like, how is he, how is he doing this? Because they're, like, it's crazy that they're undefeated right now. Yeah, you mentioned it is a little crazy. You know, you look at the other team they played in that game, Villanova. Villanova's had a lot of struggles with their guys, you know, leaving. I think, you know, you know, Iggy, Iggy has been really stepped up for them, sort of becoming, you know, a, a primetime player. Uh, Jordan, primetime hair, that's for sure. That is true. Speaking of hair, Jordan Poole's got, you know, great hair as well. Weight. He does have great hair. And he's also, you know, stepped up, you know, from, you know, Everyone knows him from the shot last year, but he really wasn't a, a big contributor. He stepped up into a much bigger role. I mean, John Teske had a great game against us. You know, Isaiah Livers has been hurt. He sort of stepped up. And I think, you know, we all know Beeline's an, an exceptional coach, you know. He came to Michigan, and Michigan was sort of in a, in a you know, struggling under Tommy Amaker. He's brought them to now two, you know, runner-ups in national title games. He's had some really great players, you know. All around, you read stories about how coaches respect him. He's one of the most respected guys in the country. And, I mean, this year's job so far, I mean, we, we you know we haven't talked about it much yet, but the Big Ten this year is insanely tough. There's so many teams in the top 25, so many teams, you know, receiving votes. To have his team, even though there's only been, you know, five games and they, you know, they just played Illinois and won, you know, to only still be undefeated, and especially with a, a decent non-conference slate, it's a prop set, the coaching job of him, his assistants, and the guys on that team for buying in. Andrew, who's going to be the hardest player for Northwestern to match up against this time around? Uh, I think it's Iggy just because of his size, um, his ability to to get to, to post up. He also has a good mid-range shot. He can get to the free throw line. He makes free throws. He can shoot the three ball. 
I mean, I, th- I think he's a matchup nightmare for most teams, and I think it doesn't make it any easier um, for Northwestern. But I, I think I think Northwestern played them well last time, but I think he's the biggest the biggest problem for them. And when so we all remember our, or before the our, after the Iowa game, Coach Collins told or after the Illinois game, Coach Collins told us that it was a must win game, and he told the guys that. What do you think Collins is telling his players the stakes are in this game? Do you think he like after? A very disappointing loss against Iowa. He's bringing that back out. Well, well he, he's he's repetitively said that he's not a proponent of closed games. He cares about wins. So I think he's telling the guys they need to go out and win the game. I mean, it, it, I mean it's it's not a must win, but it's it's it would be pretty it would be a pretty big win for them moving forward. Um, I think that they need to focus on they need to focus on getting pardon the ball in the post. That was very effective for them in the first game. Um, he had the ankle injury, but he had twenty point he had eighteen or twenty points right before he got hurt with the ankle injury. I think they need to go back to pardon, and I think that Chris Collins can get them motivated. Um, I don't think there needs to be any motivation. I mean, they're one and four in conference, and I think the number the number two team in the country getting a win like that would be, I mean, that'd be a huge uh, booster for them you know, in terms of an argument for the tournament. I think that's all the motivation you need. Peter, something I've been thinking about ever since Kyle made that must-win reference was that if it didn't go in and then you lost the game, uh, and I was reminded of the stretch last year where Collins like took the practice jerseys away from the players and like took all the Under Armour decorations down from the the uh, at the training uh, from training from Islam. Yeah. Um, like, are we close to there? Like, are we close to that point of just like utter disappointment of a team not matching expectations if Northwestern gets blown out by Michigan and falls to one and five in conference play? I don't think so. And part of that is because I think different expectations coming into here. I mean, last year's Northwestern team came in preseason ranked 19. They sort of struggled. There seemed to sort of be a, a, some sort of disconnect. You know, there's a lot. From you know having you know been at some press conferences and watched some of the ones that haven't been online, Collins has not really been too angry, been too perturbed. He's sort of been calm and sort of very understand. You know, he's been sort of like we understand we're going through steps here. I think last year, you know, coming off of there's obviously a lot of pressure NCAA tournament bid, uh, trying to get two in a row, and he said you know they didn't they were not in the right mindset last year. I think they're in the right mindset this year. And I think you know you. Yes, you have two you know two great players in Derek and Vic in their last in their last year. But you like six newcomers. You have to still. We're gonna have other than Ryan Taylor. We're gonna have at least one more year left to to show their skills and sort of get them developed. So while it's gonna suck to sort of if they you know they lose Michigan and keep going on a losing streak, it's gonna not be good for the team. I think, you know, you have to understand it's going to, there's going to be growing pains, and it's, it's a much different team in this year. Collins has been optimistic, you're right. Uh, and just change it up, no one's been more pessimistic about this team than Brad Underwood, who after the Northwestern Illinois game had some, some things to say. So we're just going to run through some of those takes real quick uh, and see whether or not we think he had a point. Andrew, is A.J. Turner a bad shooter who shouldn't be taking last shots like Underwood said? No, I completely disagree. I think A.J. Turner can shoot the ball. I just think, like you said, we're trying, he's trying to get himself integrated into the offense. I think he can shoot the ball. He proved that he's a good stroke. So the ball just wasn't going in. Peter, is Walsh Ron Arena's, like, I guess, like, inconsistency in atmosphere uh, holding the team back kind of like Allstate Arena did last year? No, not at all. It's, I mean, the Michigan game was, was very hype. The Iowa game was hype. He's, you know, this, you know, he shows up to a game, the on the sun on a Sunday, a Sunday game, you know, in was it I believe it was 11 a.m. here or was it 12? Noon. It was noon. It was a noon game here, so we're already early in the morning. And throwing the fact, Chicago Bears home playoff game, first time in the playoffs in I think five years, 
you know. And people weren't even back on campus yet. Yeah, and so people weren't even back on campus. I mean, to be there. I, I was flying back, which is why I wasn't sure if it was 11 so or 12. Was I, so, yeah. so, I mean, there was, and nobody's, you know, for, especially for a campus like Northwestern where a lot of people are flying back. And it's not a lot of, you know, people from, it's a good amount of people from around here, but not, you know, the majority of people. You're not going to get a large crowd of these games. So I think he was just extremely salty. And I mean, I think Collins had it right. He thanked the, you know, area for showing up afterwards because he knew how big of a game it would be. Right. Not just in Chicago, but the whole state. And then lastly, Underwood said, like, yeah, Northwestern won the battle, but he kind of implied that, like, they're winning the war because they have a young team and Northwestern doesn't. Do you think that, like, that's a problem, the fact that Northwestern is so reliant on senior... Like, do you see Underwood's point? No. Once again, I, we this is the best recruiting class we've had in Northwestern's history. We're developing talent. Um, we only have... We only have two, three seniors, including Jordan Ash, and Jordan Ash doesn't even play. So I think a lot of our team is young, or you know, or has more time left. So I don't think that's a, that's really a fair statement in any way, shape, or form. Peter, what would you guess is the over or not the over under the line for the game against Michigan? What, what would be fair? What do you think the projected differences between these two teams? Uh, my gut inclination would say double digits, just because you're looking at the Northwestern team, you know, struggling at the moment. You just got blown out at Michigan State, you know, another top 10 ranked team. But the last game against Northwestern sort of makes me, against Michigan for Northwestern, it's sort of making me think maybe not, but I'm going to say it's 11 and a half. And then, Andrew, when you're watching the game, let's wrap it up. What is the one thing you're going to be, like, keening it on most in the matchup? If Derek Parton gets the ball in the post, then you establish the post game. I think then you attack the lane more with Anthony Gaines. Anthony Gaines proved that he can he can take a high volume of shots and free throws and convert them at a high level. So I think it's a matter of attacking the paint. That's what I'm going to be looking for in the game. That's all we got. We got some more stuff coming for you in the future. Read us online, please. This has been The Daily Bounce. Thank you, guys.